From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. There's some big changes coming to telehealth. From the start of July this year, GP's patients will only be able to attract a Medicare rebate for level A and B telephone consults. All video consultation rebates, however, will remain at the same level. This move by the Department of Health has been met with a fair share of criticism from some doctors groups, while others have welcomed the moves, saying that a pivot to video will ensure better patient care. Today, we delve into the use of telehealth in practice with two guests, Dr. Andrew Baird, a Melbourne-based GP, and Dr. Gillian Alexis, an entrepreneur with a blended career of business and health research, and the CEO of Phoenix Health, which is a company specialising in virtual care. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe if we take it right back to the beginning of telehealth, it's a good place to start. In March last year, when the temporary items were bought in, the DOH guidance at the time recommended that phone-only consults should be used sparingly and that video consults should be the rule and not the exception. But then despite this, roughly 98% of telehealth consults over the last year by GPs have been done via phone. Maybe if we start with you, Gillian, do you think that's because the sector wasn't quite prepared? Oh, absolutely. I think that they uh, weren't ready. It was um, bought in um, as an immediate need to um, push through the COVID um, issues about, you know, people's fear of of going to see GP face-to-face. And I think that um, the unpreparedness um, has meant that it was very easy to dive into a, a phone call Um, as opposed to um, getting themselves sort of tooled up in hardware and software to enable them to um, undertake a video consult. Uh, Plus the fact that um, the remuneration through MBS is the same for phone as it is for video, although that's changing now. But to me, that would be the reason um, that it has been mainly phone because of the ease of it and um, lack of equipment and remuneration rates. Andrew, I guess GPs might see that slightly differently, and that's one thing that came out of the introduction of telehealth as an MBS item at the start of the pandemic was that, as you would know well, GPs have already been ringing their patients and doing a range of clinical work up until that point, and now they could suddenly be paid for that work. What's your views on that 98% figure, do you think that it's actually more of a reflection of GPs being able to get paid for the time that they were putting into patients? I think that's a very uh, relevant uh, point. I mean, GPs have been using the telephone since Alexander Graham Bell invented the device and it became commonplace in households. So it's not new. And uh, uh, GPs have been using it for low acuity, well-defined problems. So to get remuneration for something that they've already been doing was very welcome. Medicare had defined the preference for uh, video uh, telehealth um, and had said it was acceptable to use phone only if video was unavailable. So by that definition, uh, um, video has been unavailable in 98% of GP 
patient encounters, which does seem unlikely um, to be that um, uh, that number. I think um, I would echo what Gillian has said, that um, the uh, the barriers to the uptake of video by uh, GPs are uh, multiple. Certainly, uh, one of the main barriers to the uptake of video is the phone, because the phone is perceived as being easy, and video is perceived as being hard, and there is no uh, incentive, uh, clinically or financially, uh, for most GPs to take on the uh, to take on the uh, video so um, there are issues around attitudes and uh, perceptions I think also issues around uh, motivation to change um, confidence and competence uh, to use video technology as well um, and it goes back to I think the comment you made at the introduction that perhaps GPs were just not ready for it uh, to be imposed on them and as you mentioned before Gillian at the start of July, we're going to see a change, and that is that GPs will only be able to bill Medicare for level A and B telephone consults. And the video consults, however, will remain at the same level that they are at the moment. This move by the Department of Health has been met with criticism, with some doctors' groups saying that it's not good enough, while others have welcomed the move, saying that a pivot to video will ensure patient care. What are your views on this? Uh, maybe if we start with Gillian. Mm, yes, no, look, I totally agree. And I think you're going to um, see that uh, GPs will probably have an issue there because um, even though phone does sound simple, quite often it can take as long to do a telehealth consult or longer um, because of all of the fact that you've got to be set up for, um, you know, phone numbers and, and you've got to, um, you know, do all sorts of virtual um, methods of um, being able to give patients how are they going to collect their script, is it sent electronically? And there's, there's a lot of other um, uh issues to do with a consult that are going to be longer. But I think in, in answer to your question, that if you were um, looking, if the government is looking to bring in um, and support more video, it, it's, it's a necessary drive from the convenience model, I think, to trying to um, bring them into more sort of uh, uh, patient, remote patient monitoring, um, which only video telehealth is going to assist with. Um, and I think that this means that they will have to get some training um, to take them into this model. So the convenience model of phone is fine, but we do need to now take a step to the future, and that is bringing in video. And do you share that sentiment? Absolutely. Andrew? Very much concur with what um, uh, uh, Gillian um, has uh, uh, has said. I mean, the, uh, um, the video consultation, by enabling a visual interaction, you're enabling uh, uh, a superior uh, consultation. Um, uh, you're enabling better communication. You're enabling um, an indirect physical examination. You've, you're enabling a, phys uh, a, um, a patient-assisted examination. You've got the uh, remote monitoring that Gillian has referred to as well. So um, uh, video is superior to uh, phone in terms of the, uh, the, clinical, uh, the clinical encounter. So I, I agree with Gillian. On a practical level, Andrew, what do you find are the biggest barriers for making video just a very straightforward, easy consult on both your end and the patient's end? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think at the, the it, it comes down to attitudes and perceptions. Um, at the, uh, um, I think using a uh, platform that is designed for health rather than a, a social um, or business platform is is helpful. Um, uh, I use tools within the video call which enable me to uh, uh, do much of the uh, the workflow and paperwork that Gilliam was referring to. So writing referrals and requests that can all be done securely and efficiently through a video call um, without having to be done after. Um, uh, a phone call. Uh, patients only have to click on a link to get into a virtual waiting room from which they can be admitted to a virtual consulting room. It's incredibly easy. It actually takes fewer clicks for a patient to get into a video call than it does for them to click on a phone to get um, to, to make a phone call. And uh, uh, patients um, find that very straightforward and easy, uh, easy to do. Uh, I find it straightforward using the um, uh, uh, I, I use the, the Health Direct um, uh, video call platform, and I find it extremely easy uh, to use. But I do know that many GPs um, uh, perceive that as a barrier. They perceive that they have to set up um, equipment, um, that they have problems with um, their internet um, access, or a patient has problems with their internet access, and these become barriers to the use of a video. Um, which uh, um, hopefully with time and with education, this will resolve and uh, providing GPs with education, but also GP registrars and medical students, the, uh, the future GPs, it's important that we embed video in the, uh, the culture of medical education. And that's probably the perfect segue because mm-hmm. Gillian, you work in the in education of telehealth. And as you pointed out, Andrew, it's not a theme, well, at least it hasn't been a theme in medical school and GP training up until more recently. Gillian, what do you find are the things missing that might be needed in upskilling to help GPs do this more effectively? I think we have to start with the fact that right at the very moment, there's a lot of uncertainty around what is going to happen with telehealth. Um, And we've discussed that um, we see that the future is going to be with video. But until there's certainty around um, uh, what is going to happen, I dare say that um, uh, doctors won't bother um, getting the investment in hardware, software or training. And I think that um, once that happens, there will be an absolute need to do the training. But coming back to... um, Uh, the GP registrars and and I think some doctors that uh, are servicing patients even in regional areas, there's there's a a dire need, I think, to to bring training for uh, beginning doctors into the, the, you know, the 2021 um, paradigm and and that's not being incorporated in the programs that I see, which is the RTOs and the private uh, and the colleges and the private training organisations aren't really bringing in um, alternatives um, and bringing in innovative ways to uh, address, you know, the delivery of health in the future. And that's where I would like to see um, a lot more collaboration. Um, I, I do know that the government has suggested that they are spending $300 million, um, on GP training um, but there's a bit of a battle at the moment between um, what the government wants and what the RACGP um, are trying to implement. And it, I think that they need, that needs to be sorted out um, very quickly because if the item numbers for video come in um, and it does become a necessary part of what doctors believe in, they're going to be need training 
prior and not just throwing them in the deep end um, again uh, when the new, uh, you know, regulation or the certainty around the item numbers. So that would be my thought is that, you know, that the training starts at, um, you know, as Andrew said in the uh, GP registrars and, and in the colleges um, and then I think that um, there's lots of great opportunity for it to be, you know, incredibly useful to overcome some of the uh, GP shortages in regional areas. Um, but it really needs to be video, as Andrew put it. There's there's so much more that you can address um, with video than you can with a phone, and particularly um, if a doctor is sitting or has never met the patient and is really representing um, a, a clinic in the regional areas, there's, there's a need for that um, communication and engagement. For the GPs that have been working in the community for possibly many years, they have had to independently upskill. And Andrew, I imagine that this is something that you have done over the last yes, few I have. years. That's, yes, that's correct. I've, um, uh, I have independently um, upskilled um, and I've found that been very useful. And um, I, I think I've benefited from that and I would commend it to uh, other GPs as, as well. Um, uh, and I, I very much agree with what Gillian has said. I, I even go a step further back and say that um, it would be really helpful to introduce training in video um, uh, in medical schools uh, for medical students as uh, you know part of their um, you, know, you know basic um, uh, patient consultation and patient communication um, skills and there definitely is a there is a skill set that um, needs to be learned um, for doing uh, a video consultation it's not just um, a um, uh, an in-person consultation with a screen um, uh, there are specific skills that need to be learned and need to be used and has it come at significant personal expense for you, Andrew, to try and upskill? I would say uh, um, no more than the expense for other programs of the similar duration. So um, without seeing exactly what costs I've, I've said, I've spent, um, it would be uh, no more than the, 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 the cost that one would normally expect to pay for, say, a one-day uh, one course. Um, but yes, I'm out of pocket for that. Um, uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the Department of Health haven't funded me. The Primary Health Network haven't funded me. I've had to fund that myself. Uh, but I, I believe that uh, it's been worth it. Um, and I've, I've probably um, gained more financially as well um, by um, seeing um, more patients um, uh, um, and I've probably been able to repay myself um, by that alone. What would you say are some of the main differences that you can think between sure. that you have to do on a video console sure. compared yeah. to when someone's in the room with you? Sure. Well, um, really, with starting, you need to know you've got the right person. So it's confirming identity, confirming their location. Um, uh, if you need to contact emergency services during the call, you need to know where they are um, because they're not sitting in the consulting room uh, with you. Um, one needs to check their privacy. Um, and that's for yourself, but for them too, and their safety. Um, who else is in the room? Who else is, is nearby? Those are issues that need to be considered. Um, you then need to uh, consider, is this uh, um, appropriate for a video consultation. So is it an emergency? So there would be a screening checklist of uh, uh, um, symptoms that um, would indicate an emergency and whether it's difficulty breathing, chest pain or drowsiness, that needs to be gone through as well. And um, depending on the context, possibly a COVID uh, checklist um, as, as well. And 
in terms of one's interaction, um, uh, some uh, one does need to be aware of uh, gesture and facial expression, not necessarily to exaggerate them, but to be aware of them um, uh, um, of your own as well as of the uh, um, uh, the patients. Um, and with physical examination, uh, you are doing an indirect examination. That's by observation and by inspection and by asking the patient um, to uh, uh, to do movements or to do uh, to do maneuvers and there's a lot that can be achieved um, with that um, the other reasons for not doing a video consultation if you do need to do a direct physical examination or if a procedure is going to be uh, required or if the patient refuses to have a video consultation so those those are um, some of the key features that distinguish a video consultation from an in-person uh, consultation Gillian, do you get quite a few questions from doctors about privacy, mainly, uh, you know, in in the fact that because it's digital that patients may be concerned about either their own privacy and, and what's happening with potential recordings of the consult and what's going on on both ends in terms of other people accessing the platform? Yeah, yeah look, I, I think what, what I would say about that, and, and um, it's great what Andrew said, because from a clinical perspective, a lot of those things are very relevant. Um, I think what we look at when we're training doctors is also um, to start even looking at the legality, the, their insurances, um, and what other aspects of it that they need to um, put up on their websites, their um, terms and conditions, their privacy policies. Um, and when you're doing telehealth, they, they are um, particular to um, doing virtual consults. So even understanding right back to those and, and how you're going to refine your workflow model um, and, and, you know, how... You know, when somebody rings up for a telehealth appointment, for a doctor to say, well, you can come into the clinic and pick up a script, um, it, it takes away from the fact that it's a virtual consult. So there's a lot of things to learn in how to refine that process for it from a patient's perspective as well. Um, we take... Um, the the um, the GPs through with our legal representative and take them through a whole lot of refinement and details that they need to know to to make sure they they safeguard themselves for risk um, in undertaking virtual consults. Um, one of the other things too, we 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 take them through um, even the marketing side of it because how you actually engage with your patients right at the beginning is really important. Um, and like once you have that consult, of course, as Andrew said, it's really important for them to be able to to feel comfortable in it. But at the beginning, you need to let them know how's it going to take place. Um, what are, how are they going to book? What to expect? Will they get a link or will they get a phone call? Or um, and and it's preparing your patients. So we also like to train um, the doctors up on on that, and and quite often that's involving your team as well, because um, it's not just about the the doctors doing a great job with the telehealth consult. It's also about their uh, reception team and anybody else that's involved in the whole process because they need to know how are they going to give that consult to um, a doctor um, and it, the patient you know there's all that building awareness of the process. My final question is that as we know telehealth will be extended 
and at least until the 31st of December. And that's while we wait for this co-design of the permanent item numbers, which we've already had a bit of a sneak preview of what that will entail. But in the meantime, what would you like to see in terms of clarification on the use of telehealth if we start with Andrew? Yeah, I think um, uh, moving forwards, um, it would be uh, what we're looking for is some uh, um, uh, certainty around uh, uh, continuity of funding. Um, and uh, that would be around the uh, um, the Health Direct video call uh, platform, um, which uh, um, uh, is, is funded by the government and delivered through the primary health uh, networks. We'd like to have some clarity around um, the um, uh, Medicare benefits for uh, video uh, telehealth uh, items, um, uh, and also some clarity around what's going to happen with um, uh, with, with phone um, as well. And uh, and just following on from that, I think it would be really helpful if we were enabled to develop uh, really a video culture in our clinical practices. So uh, that's um, all the it's a whole of practice approach. So it involves our uh, receptionists, uh, practice staff, uh, and GPs as well to embrace video uh, for um, for our patients yeah look I think I think that um, you know and I totally agree with Andrew it's hard to add to that one Andrew um, and, and talking about a fun comment um, I, I, I see a lot of stress that is happening uncertainty is probably um, the word but it's creating stress um, and I, I, I think that my feeling is that unless we provide um, GPs with a really um, clear understanding, it, it's very easy to default and say, sorry, patient, you will have to come in for a face-to-face consult because it's all too hard. And I, I think that um, we're running out of time. Um, COVID's been very stressful for GPs and, and, and a lot of you know patients as well, as well of course. But um, it, it is um, we're asking them to take this on without providing them with certainty, training around it. Um, and, you know, I think if I was really stressed, I'd, I'd be putting my hands up in a, in a sense and saying, well, look, I'm not going to do it. The other thing, too, that I think is really necessary is that Patients now have got um, an understanding that convenience model is just about the phone. We've taken polls to see that uh, whether patients would prefer video to phone and actually the preference is around phone. And so that concerns me a little bit that we're actually, this is extended so long now that the patients are going to drive phone and, and I see that as an issue. So the sooner we can bring in certainty and and push to have um, greater quality using video, um, I'm worried about the future. Mm, that's a very good point, Gillian. Do you have you had that? response from your patients Andrew absolutely and um, the, 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 the there certainly is the, the the phone is convenient for GPS it's convenient for patients but the phone is not an appropriate substitute for an in-person consultation um, and patients should not be making that decision um, they um, but um, it needs to be safe and appropriate and uh, the phone uh, consultation is not necessarily the most safe or most appropriate way to manage a consultation whereas video can be so uh, I I think it's uh, education 
education for our patients about um, what is safe and appropriate care and that this can be delivered by video but not necessarily by a phone. That's not to discount the phone, there is a role for phone, but as I say, it's for lower acuity, low acuity, well-defined um, problems, not to, not to substitute a, an in-person consultation. Andrew and Gillian, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. Bye, Francine. Bye, Andrew. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.